meant to be, where we walk through the Gospel of Luke and we talk about the things that are most important. And each week we have this wonderful opportunity to trade the way that our lives are for the way that they were meant to be. And this week we're talking about when things don't turn out as you expect, right? And so I have a couple of examples of what that might look like. There it is. I don't know if you can see that really well. Um, Yeah, bring the lights down for these. I don't know the cliff was really expecting that. Okay, next. Let's take a look. I don't know. I don't know. I think he might have taken a wrong turn on the road to success there. Or maybe the road to success is the one he just crashed into. It's going around the top. Didn't turn out the way he expected. Now this, this, this is either brilliant marketing strategy or a delicious coincidence you decide. Okay. That, that did not turn out the way I expected. Right? Now, all of these, if you bring the lights back up, thank you. All of these don't really make a big difference or not. Although Cliff might disagree. But what happens when we have something that doesn't turn out the way we expect? That is life-altering. And that's what we're talking about today. Now, the reason that I wanted to talk about this is because um, we do our best to make sure we measure up, we make the grade, we chin the bar, we get ahead. We do our best to be the best kind of people um, that we know how to be, for the most part, right? And that works. And you would expect that that would work until you open this, which is the Bible. And the shocking thing is that in here, things don't always um, turn out the way that you expect. In fact, Scripture after Scripture uh, is a story of things that do not turn out the way you expect. That the good boy is lost and the bad boy is saved or the bad girl is saved and the good girl is lost and we don't expect that. So what we want to do is take a, take a look at one of those episodes so we can unpack it and see what that is all about. Because um, if you are into being bad, you're going to need an escape hatch. And if you're into being good, you want to make sure you don't fall into that trap. So we have the kids with us. We're so glad you have your worksheet. You have three different areas in it. On the far left, it says, Jesus forgave me for. That is the place where you write or draw or both all those things that you are so happy that he has taken upon himself and taken off of you. You are forgiven. So that is where you want to go. Kids, go. Okay. This story is brought to you by the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. That is in the Bible. So if you have a Bible, please open it to Luke, chapter 7. Um, if you do not have a Bible, but you would like to blend, uh, take a look under one of the seats in front of you. There's a brown hardback there. You are free to use it. You are on page 981, I believe, in that one. Hey, if you do not own a Bible, guess what? You do now. That one's yours. Yours to keep. Enjoy it. It is the only book in the world that when you read it, the author shows up and talks to you. Have a great time with that. Um, Luke 7... We're going to pick it up in verse 36. We're going to unpack this as we go. 
and then we've got some things to talk about and some takeaways. Then we're going to eat, and, and you guys are going to go. But in the meantime, we're going to get blessed. So here it goes. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Who's he? Who's him? Who are we talking about here? Yes, yes. All my church peeps. You want... Look, here's the rule. When you're in church and somebody asks you a question, you don't know the answer, always guess Jesus. What do you like in your coffee? Jesus. Amen. Yes. All right. Yes. So Jesus is going to a dinner party, right? He's going to a dinner party. And it's going to be a Pharisee's house. So Pharisee, that is pronounced professional church person. This is the kind of person who takes rule keeping to a whole nother level. This is going to be a proper dinner where we use napkins. We don't throw the rolls, right? This is going to be very proper or so we would expect. Dun, 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 dun. Let's watch and see what happens. Verse 37, behold, a woman of the city. And behold means, wait, you thought you knew? Check this out, right? A woman of the city. Now we have to pause there. Who was a sinner. Um, you might think that this expression, woman of the city, is there for you to realize that she is a resident of the city as opposed to the country. Nope. That is not exactly what it means. Um, What if we add one word to that title, and we'll see if that helps. And behold, a woman of the city streets. Now you know who she is? Good, because we got kids here with us. Okay, back we go. And behold, a woman of the city streets, who was a sinner when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. She crashes this otherwise very proper um, dinner party, and she is going to come in with this alabaster flask. Now, the flask itself would be worth a fortune. A fortune. This is, this is precious stuff. Now, what's in there? It says ointment. This is more accurately described as perfume. And this is not just any perfume. Uh, Bible scholars believe that this is nard. Now, nard would make Chanel number no. five eau de parfum uh, look like tap water by comparison. Why? Because this would have cost this woman a year's salary. Right? Right? She brought this. This is what she brings and looks what she's going to do. And standing behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. Now, she's not weeping because she's sad. She's weeping because she's overwhelmed with joy. This woman is, is joyful. She's grateful. She's full of love. She began to wet his feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair on her head. How humble is this? How loving. And kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now to do this, you had to break this, this precious, um, fragile alabaster flask because they didn't cork them. They sealed them. So she would break this. This is like a one-time thing. And she would pour out this ointment. She's anointing him. And this is, she is just over the moon. I mean, this woman has, has this euphoria, this joy, this love, as if she had just won the lottery, right? I mean, do you have that? Do you have that for Jesus? Because she has this. 
And so when we see somebody experiencing something, I want to know how she gets this. How she gets this, right? And that's what she's doing. Nothing can keep her away from it. And this does not please the host at all. In fact, they're not impressed. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, when he saw this, um, he said to himself, he's speaking in his own mind, if this man, if Jesus were really a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. See, he was so squeaky, you know, clean. He thinks you can catch sin by touching somebody, right? And he ain't got none of it, right? Because what she does, and he's thinking. And so what does Jesus do? He hears what he's, whoa. He hears what he's thinking. All right, stop. That was not part of the message. That, that was not. Okay, he hears what the guy is thinking and answers him, like mind blown, right? And this guy, like, if you're a prophet, no, he's God with skin on, reading minds. That is so the least of what he can do. Okay, so he says, he answers him, he says, Simon. That's how we know the Pharisee's name is Simon. Um, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher, bring it. Okay, let's see what you got. So Jesus tells him and us a story. And here it is. He says, a certain money lender had two debtors, two people that owed him a lot of money. One owed him 500 denarii. Now, a denarii is the equivalent of the average day's wage, okay, um, for most people. So 500 denarii, that's like a year and a half salary. That's a, that's a big lot of money he owed. Now, the other one owed 50, which is almost two months. Still a lot, right? Owed. But here's the key. When they could not pay, neither one had enough money, he canceled the debt of both. So Jesus asked him, now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, he said to him, well, we got to go back. We, we lost number three, 43. He says, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Of course he sees her. He's been staring at her since he came in the house. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She's wet my feet with her tears. Wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. She has anointed my feet with this precious ointment. Therefore, I tell you. Sorry. Therefore, I tell you. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. Now, um, just so we know uh, and don't get confused. She's not forgiven because she loved. Do you get that? She, she didn't love her. She was forgiven. And because of that, she loved him. She, she didn't earn or pay for his forgiveness with her love. I just want you to get that, right? It's important. For she loved him. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And now he talks a little bit more about what she's done. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. This is perhaps the most beautiful thing that anybody can ever hear 
from Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. That is what welled her up in that euphoria, that gratitude, that love. That is the key. Right there, your sins are forgiven. That's how you and I get what she's got. Then those who were at table with him began to grumble. They're saying amongst themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? Only God can do that. He says this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She has got it. She has got it. And what does, what's the bottom line? The love you show is equal to the forgiveness you know. If you've been forgiven a lot, you're going to love a lot. You're going to love God a lot. You're going to love people. If you've been forgiven just a little, you're going to love just a little. God and people. So the key is to be forgiven, to be forgiven. Okay, that's what we're going to do. Now, uh, kids, it's time for you to do number two. Uh, I I know that came out wrong. Um, You want to do? All right, stop with that, okay? All right. The second column, second column on your sheet said, the love and forgiveness of Jesus makes me feel. That's, that's where you write all the joy, all the freedom, all the pictures, all the good stuff. Column number two, that's you. Here we go. The love you show is equal to the forgiveness you know. Now, in God's record books, we told you that this is true again and again. That losers win and the winners lose. Say that with me, will you? The losers win and the winners lose. You say, you're making that up, Tom. I am not. Jesus said it. He said, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. And that means the losers win and the winners lose. The losers win and the winners lose. Now, check your face. Check your face. Put on your poker face because I don't want to know what you're thinking. I don't want your peeps to know what you're thinking. When you think about the losers win and the winners lose, the degree to which that offends you is the degree to which you think of yourself as a winner. The degree to which that comforts you is the degree to which you think of yourself as a loser. There's good and bad news and blessings and warnings regardless of how you think of yourself. So we've got to figure out which we're going to be. Which we're going to be. Hang with me. There's plenty to offend everybody this morning. So hang with me. we got to decide. Are we going to be more like the man or the woman, the Pharisee or the woman of the streets? Let's talk about the Pharisee, okay? Now, Simon is his name. He may not be a fan of Jesus, but don't be hating. Don't be profiling. He is not a bad man. He is a good man. We get this? He is a moral man. He is a deeply religious man. This is a man you want living in your neighborhood, in your condo association. He pays his bills. He cuts his lawn. You want him doing your taxes? You would let him hold your baby. You would buy a used car from him or use chariot as the case may be. This is Simon. He's a good dude. Don't be hating. He doesn't drink, dance, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do, right? Externally, he looks like a Baptist. Don't be offended. 
Bethany is a Baptist church. Just don't tell anybody. Okay. So Simon is not what you would describe as a loser. Simon, you would describe as a winner. But what do we see here? Simon is the good boy who is lost. Who is lost. Why? Why is Simon lost? Because of the way that he feels about Jesus. Now, if you know this word, you know how to pronounce this word about how he feels about Jesus. I need you to say it with me out loud, okay? Here's how he feels about Jesus. No, it's not up there. We missed it. Do we know what the word M-E-H, how that is pronounced? How is that pronounced? Meh. Meh. Do you know that word? Meh. Use it in a sentence. Are you, how do you feel about the Colorado Rockies? Meh. Do you want leftover double dragon for dinner? Meh. How do you feel about televised golf? Meh. Meh. Is the emotion of beige. Right? Meh is a double scoop of indifference with a side order of boredom. That is how the Pharisee feels about Jesus. Meh. Are you bored with your faith? I don't care if you're a Jesus follower, a church person or not. Are you bored with your faith? That is meh. If you are, There's a solution for that. You might think I need more excitement. Nope, nope, nope. Jesus would say, you need more forgiveness. Because when you get forgiveness, when you get deep, deeply forgiven, deeply washed, that results in what that woman was feeling. Euphoria, joy, gratitude, love, outpouring of everything good, right? He would say, get the forgiveness, then you get the excitement. Well... Simon didn't exactly get that. So, the woman. We take a look at the woman. Um, Don't be hating her either. She's the opposite of meh, right? She is passionate. She feels the love. She feels the joy. She feels the excitement. But she is then, as she would be today, viewed as the bad girl. She is. She is the bad girl. But you know what? She's saved. She gets it. She gets it. But she is then, as she would be today, right? To use a a recently popular word, the deplorable, right? She is unwanted, unwelcome, uninvited. She, if you're a woman, is not somebody you want living or working in your neighborhood or texting the man in your life. If you are a man, you do not want to be seen with her unless, of course, you're Jesus. And then you pursue her. Why? Because she is deeply broken. And you came to save the deeply broken. If you, like I, hear deeply broken, you want to kind of distance yourself from that term. Do not do it. Because that entering into the admission that I am deeply broken gets me in the loser category. Watch this. To where I can hook up with the winner who makes me clean. 
and takes that which is humbled and elevates it, right? That is what Jesus is all about. Okay, so here is what we need to make sure of, that we don't buy the lie that is so popular outside and inside the church that Jesus came to make your life better. That, my friends, is a lie that will destroy your faith. Jesus did not come to make your life better. Here is the truth. Oh, there's meh. Jesus came. It's early. It's early. Jesus came to give you life and be your life. That is in a different world from he came to make my life better. He didn't just come to get you some new upholstery. He came to give you life for what you call life and be that life. That is far better than making your life better. And the only way we get this is to admit that we are deeply, deeply broken. Deeply broken. So, are you more like the woman who has a past, who has no trouble admitting that she is deeply broken so that she can be deeply healed, deeply forgiven, and then soar on the wings of love and eternity and joy and gratitude? Or are you like Simon, who is just so self-satisfied and lost? He's the good boy who's lost. She's the bad girl who is saved. Losers win. Winners lose. It's just how you classify them. That's Jesus' economy, and that's what we need to press into. But before you make your decision, you need to realize that both of these people are very much the same, the woman and the man. They are both deeply broken. Didn't Jesus tell the story that he had two debtors? The man had two debtors. Neither one could pay. Who cares how much you owe more than what I owe if neither one of us can pay? Isn't that true? Give me a high five. Yeah. All right. While we're at it, kids, let's do number three. That's, that's a cue to me. When they start getting restless. Okay, number three. How do I show Jesus how much I love him? This woman used perfume and an alabaster flask. How do you show Jesus? All the ways. That's right there. Number three. Okay. Here we go. How are they the same? They are both deeply broken. Now, the man doesn't necessarily have less to be forgiven. He just believes that he has less to be forgiven than she does. And so he receives less forgiveness. And so he has less love. It's not so much that he had less to be forgiven. It's that he believes he has less. This is why most of us, in our circle of friends, we'll include at least one deviant, right? Because we like to compare ourselves to other people to determine whether or not we're doing good, whether we not, we, we need forgiveness. Now, you're, you're searching through your circle of friends. If you're having trouble figuring out who the deviant is, it's you. It's you. That, one went, that one's for free, okay? Just get that for free. But here's the deal. We don't compare ourselves to other people 
to figure out whether we need forgiveness. We compare ourselves to the holy and and precious, spotless glory of God to figure out whether we need forgiveness. And when Tom does that, I realize that I'm a loser and that Jesus is the winner that, that comes and rescues me. When I compare myself to other people, if I surround myself with the right people or the wrong people, I can end up feeling pretty self-righteous. Let me give you a visual. This is a professional basketball player by the name of Aaron Gordon, plays for the Orlando Magic. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Now, if you were to compare his vertical leap to my vertical leap, Now, I realize you do not have a tape measure with you, but if you had to guess, would you guess that his vertical leap would exceed mine? Maybe. You don't even look puzzled. (laughs) He might edge me out, but it's the shoes. Clearly. Now, Aaron Gordon, tremendous athlete. He can jump tremendously higher than I can, which makes a huge amount of difference if you're in a slam dunk contest. But think about this. It makes absolutely zero difference if we are trying to see who can jump closer to the moon. Zero difference. We are both going to miss it by approximately 238,000 miles. Six feet, six inches. Big deal. Get this. Dial it in right here. The vertical leap difference between Aaron Gordon and Tom Burgraff is smaller than the moral need of forgiveness difference between the most rebellious person you know and the most religious rule-keeping person you know when compared to reaching God. Which means that when we run to the cross, six feet, six inches don't mean nothing. Okay, here we go. We are going to do some takeaways. The Pharisee didn't see that his rule keeping wasn't, was just the same as her rule breaking. It's a way to get God to leave me alone. She was saying in her former life by her rule breaking, I don't, I don't want a savior. He's saying through his life of rule-keeping, I don't need a savior. In that sense, rule-keeping and rule-breaking can be equally rebellious. And so we got some takeaways. Let's bring the lights down because I want us to focus inward on what God is saying to you, what God has spoken to you, how he wants to lead you into what that woman was experiencing. Number one, Don't be like the Pharisees who look down. We're going to see people differently. There's only two kinds of people in the world according to this. Not not young or old, not rich or poor, black or white, straight or gay, Republican or Democrat, not good or bad. There's forgiven and there's unforgiven. And when we see that, it's not, it, it, it brings us humility and it brings us mercy to other people. Don't you see? It's, it's because the unforgiven aren't unforgiven because they don't deserve it. The forgiven don't deserve it either. There's been forgiveness provided by Jesus that they haven't become aware of. So we have mercy 
And we don't, we don't look down on people. We don't search and say, who's got more sin? No. Who's experienced more forgiveness? And if they haven't, let's bring it to them. Right? Which are you? Are you a fault finder? Or are you a forgiveness dispenser? Because that's what Jesus is. He's looking for the deeply broken so he can forgive them. And it's not so that they can remain deeply broken. When you receive that kind of forgiveness, it changes you. Look at that woman. She's changed. He's not going to change because he doesn't need to. How would this change how you see others? Number two, maybe that's your takeaway today. Maybe this is it. Realize you can have renewed purity. Now, um, if you're a young woman here, maybe you're a middle-aged woman, maybe you're older. This is for guys too, but particularly the women that I know. If you have... um, sexual sin or shame or something that was done to you or by you in the past, this woman, were she here, would say, if he can wash me clean, he can wash you clean. You are not stained beyond cleanliness. You are not damaged beyond repair. You come to Jesus, you are brand spanking new and precious, and holy, and clean in his eyes. And if you carry around the shame of a past, she would tell you, and I will tell you, you need not do that. Meet the one who will wash you deeper, deeper than any shame, than any stain, than any guilt. This is also there for those of you who have that thing in your past that say, This is beyond forgiveness. No, it is not. No, it is not. Jesus, wash you clean. Maybe that's your takeaway. Confess your need of a Savior. Maybe that's your takeaway. I pray that it is. Whether you're a rule breaker or you're a rule keeper, whether you have defined yourself by your rebellion or defined yourself by your obedience, you're just going to live better than everybody else. Guess what? We all need a savior. We are all deeply broken. And this is the thing we have to accept. We are deeply broken. And we have to accept that we, in the midst of that, are deeply loved. That's what the cross says to us. That's what God says to us. I came because you were deeply broken. And when you say you're not, then you're saying you don't want me. I deeply love you in your deep brokenness. And so repentance is just turning from the thing that's destroying us to the one who restores us. Turning from the sin that is stealing our life to the one who wants to be our life. Turning from doing it myself to you've done it for me and you want to do it again through me. I want to turn from hopelessness to hope, from darkness to light, from sin to to repentance, and then we become deeply forgiven. That's what that woman experienced. That's what I want for every single... I plead with you. Make this your takeaway. This is the last one, and then we'll eat, and then we'll go. Breaking the alabaster flask. Pouring out the ointment. That means giving the loop best to Jesus. I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't but I bet that he's talking to you about what that means. Look at your 
bank account, look at your calendar, look at your passion, look at your goals. Don't tip Jesus. Give him everything. That's how you have the euphoria. That's how you find the joy. Um, I need to talk to just some of you, but I'm not sure who. Okay, if you're a young person or college student, it's not you. Okay, if you're a visitor, it's not you. Okay, I know this. But if you're an adult who is a regular attender or a member here, it might be you, but it might not be. I don't know because um, I'm going to just say a a few words about um, your money um, and your heart. Now, don't blame me. Um, I'm not the one who put love and generosity and forgiveness all on the same page. That was Jesus, remember? He just did. Um, I don't know who I'm talking to or who I'm not because I don't look at the individual giving records because I don't want to treat you differently um, based on whether or not you're helping us um, do the mission of this church. So here it is. I, I love you. And because I love you, I have to say the hard thing. And the hard thing is this. Um, I know a thing or two about um, nonprofits and giving. That's been my profession outside of preaching for 25 years. Um, I can tell you that a church of this size, of this scope, should have, should have a budget twice the size of the one that we do have. Of the modest one that we do have, we are on track to be 40% behind for the year, which is getting long in the tooth, right? When I was in school, they had a word for what happens when you finish 40% behind. It was called failing. Um, so here, here is the thing. Um, some of us are not breaking the alabaster flask for Jesus. Some of us are not giving our best. Some of us are and some of us aren't. Don't come at me with nasty grams or you're just out yourself. I don't know who you are. But what Jesus just took away from you with this scripture is the ability to say, I'm going to give like the Pharisee, but love like the woman. He just took that away from you. He said, that's inconsistent. When you know you're forgiven deeply, then that wells up in great love and great generosity. And, and he died for the church to be the hope of the world. And so... Um, <clears throat> Here's the thing I'm not asking you to do, the people I don't even know if I'm talking to. I don't want you simply to decide that you're going to give more. What? That's not the point, don't you see? Because if that happened, then we would meet our budget and still have unsurrendered hearts, and that is a lose. What I want you and me and all of us to do is to press in so deeply in the knowledge that we're deeply broken, deeply loved, and deeply forgiven that that happens, that the gospel comes to fruition in our lives. And that's just an outpouring. Because if we get the money and not the heart change, it's a lose. So I love you. But um, because I love you, I have to tell you um, the truth because it wouldn't be very loving to sit up here and say, hey, uh, by the way, we're closing up shop because we've been hurting for two years and we can't do it anymore. So well, why didn't you tell us? Well, I am. Okay? There's a lot of good happening. But you, Jesus just took away from you the ability to say, I, I give like him, but I love like her. 
okay? Now, everybody's got an explanation about why this is. You have an explanation. I get it. Here's the question. Do you think Jesus is buying it? Okay, I leave it to you. This is not about money. This is about heart. Your money's just a barometer for what's going on in your heart. So maybe you're going to see people differently. Maybe you're going to realize that you can be washed in a way that you didn't know you could be washed. Maybe you're going to repent because you know you're deeply broken, whether you're a rule keeper or a rule breaker. Maybe you're going to find a new way to break the alabaster flask and pour out the ointment. Let me tell you why you should do that. Because we are celebrating. Let's bring the worship team up. We are celebrating a meal that is exactly this, right? This is what we do. Jesus gave us this meal. He said, for you, for you, I am breaking the alabaster flask of my body. I am pouring out the precious ointment of my blood to wash you clean. If you receive this, if you get this, it doesn't matter if you're Catholic, you're Protestant, you're Baptist. Hey, we're all mutts here. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is your meal. If not, you probably want to skip this and talk to one of us and close that deal before you enjoy this. But this is what it's about, man. You serve a God who broke himself to pour himself out so you could be made whole. Know that you're deeply broken, deeply loved, deeply forgiven. And when you and I get that, your families, your joy, your work, this town, this university, (laughs) never going to be the same. This is a chance to take a step closer. That, my friends, is the way losers win. And that is the way it was meant to be.